0: Welcome to the November 12th, 2020 episode of BLOOD podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in BLOOD, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. In today's podcast, we'll cover some of the latest findings in COVID-19, multiple myeloma, and myelodysplastic syndromes. First, we'll review an observational multicenter study suggesting that convalescent plasma with anti-SARS-CoV-2 antibodies may be a promising therapy in B-cell-depleted patients who have prolonged COVID-19 symptoms. Next, we'll discuss a research article showing that inhibition of jak 3 signaling with ruxolitinib could upregulate CD38 expression, thereby enhancing daratumumab-mediated cytotoxicity in multiple myeloma. Finally, we'll review a report showing for the first time that an MDS- Machine learning algorithms can be used to reveal novel associations between morphologic features and genetic lesions that may have important prognostic implications. Let's get right to COVID-19. The study is entitled, Convalescent Plasma Therapy for B-Cell-Depleted Patients with Protracted COVID-19 Disease by Thomas Hueso of Institut gustave Roussy in Villejuif, France, and his co-investigators throughout France. Patients with hematologic malignancies may be at higher risk of severe forms of COVID-19. This may be particularly true for patients who are B-cell lymphopenic due to prior treatment with anti-CD20 monoclonal antibodies. Convalescent plasma transfusion has been used in past viral epidemics, including SARS, MERS, and influenza. During the COVID-19 pandemic, there have been numerous studies exploring the use of convalescent plasma transfusion to treat patients with COVID-19 disease. In the present study, Hueso and colleagues sought to study the safety and efficacy of convalescent plasma transfusion as a proof of concept in patients who had profound B-cell lymphopenia and prolonged COVID-19 disease. They conducted the study in 13 French hospitals from May 1st to June 30th, 2020 and identified 17 patients with B-cell immunodeficiency and prolonged COVID-19 symptoms confirmed by SARS-CoV-2-specific RT-PCR in respiratory samples. 15 of the patients had been treated for hematological malignancies, while one had multiple sclerosis and another patient had common variable immunodeficiency. 15 of the patients had received anti-CD20 monoclonal antibodies. Within the last two years, and none of those patients had detectable circulating B-cells. Fifteen of the patients had severe hypogammaglobulinemia, while the two remaining patients had received gamma-globulin supplementation. The median length of COVID-19 symptoms was 56 days. Eleven of those patients had received other treatments prior to convalescent donor plasma. Of those, three had a temporary clinical improvement on either remdesivir or tocilizumab, but relapsed a few days following the completion of treatment. Convalescent donors were eligible for plasma donation 15 days after their COVID-19 disease had resolved. Each patient in the study received two consecutive transfusions of two convalescent plasma units of 200 to 220 milliliters each on day zero and day one of the study. There were no serious adverse effects observed before or after transfusion. Almost all of the patients, or 16 out of 17, experienced a rapid clinical improvement following convalescent plasma transfusion. According to Hueso and co-investigators, Fever subsided within the first 48 hours and decreases in SARS-CoV-2 RNAemia were seen within seven to 14 days. Of 10 oxygen dependent patients in the study, all were weaned from oxygen within five days. Of two patients who had required mechanical ventilation, one was successfully weaned, though he still required oxygen. The other patient died seven days after transfusion, due to ventilation-associated pneumonia. While these data appear to be promising, some limitations of the study have to be considered, according to authors of a related editorial also appearing in blood. The study included only 17 patients with diverse underlying conditions accounting for their immunodeficiency and did not have a control group, wrote editorial authors Michael F. Murphy of the University of Oxford and Sonny Dizick of Massachusetts General Hospital. In addition, these patients had received various other treatments for COVID-19, and some appear to be already recovering before the administration of plasma, as shown by decreasing temperature and falling levels of C-reactive protein, Murphy and Disick added in their editorial. The National Institutes of Health recently emphasized that COVID-19 convalescent plasma is not the standard of care for patients with COVID-19 and that adequately powered, randomized, controlled trials are needed to demonstrate whether or not this is an effective treatment. But when randomized, controlled trials are not feasible, Murphy and Disick said, Phase two studies such as this one by Hueso and colleagues at least suggest but do not prove that administering convalescent plasma could be useful for the treatment of patients with immune compromise due to an underlying disease or treatment with an anti-CD20 monoclonal antibody. Overall. Hueso and colleagues concluded that passive transfer of COVID-19-neutralizing antibodies through convalescent plasma therapy is a promising and safe approach in patients with severe impairment of humoral immunity who have protracted COVID-19 symptoms. Next, let's turn to a research article entitled jak Pathway Regulates CD38 on Myeloma Cells in the Bone Marrow Microenvironment. Therapeutic Implications by Daisuke Ogaya and co-authors at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston and colleagues in Japan. Targeting the surface antigen CD38 on myeloma cells with monoclonal antibodies is an important part of current therapy regimens. Agents such as daratumumab, isotuximab, and or trigger multiple myeloma cytotoxicity through induction of antibody-dependent cellular cytotoxicity, or ADCC, among other mechanisms. Daratumumab monotherapy induces responses in only about 30% of relapsed and refractory multiple myeloma patients. Remarkably, in combination with IMIDS or proteasome inhibitors, anti-CD38 antibodies can achieve a very high frequency of deep remissions in both newly diagnosed and relapsed patients. However, subsequent relapse remains common, and the emergence of resistance to anti-CD38 antibodies is an important feature of this resistance. In their study, Ogaya and colleagues hypothesized that the bone marrow microenvironment may contain factors that regulate expression of CD38 by myeloma cells In preliminary studies, they found that co-culture of myeloma cells with either bone marrow stromal cells or medium conditioned by these cells strongly downregulated expression of CD38. The authors surveyed cytokines known to be produced by bone marrow stromal cells and identified one, interleukin-6, or IL-6, as the major factor produced by stromal cells that suppressed CD38 expression. Using CRISPR-Cas9 screening, The researchers then identified key signaling molecules that mediated IL-6-induced downregulation of CD38. STAT-3 and JAK-1 were identified as the key potential mediators. Conversely, they found that another member of the STAT family of genes, STAT-1, mediated upregulation of CD38 in myeloma cells. They found that STAT3 knockdown abrogated IL-6-induced CD38 downregulation in multiple myeloma cell lines. Further, RNA sequencing data from newly diagnosed myeloma patients confirmed a significant inverse correlation between STAT3 and expression of CD38. Interestingly, in the absence of STAT3, IL-6 could signal through STAT1 and actually increase expression of CD38. Overall, The authors provide compelling data to show that CD38 is positively regulated by STAT1 and negatively regulated by STAT3. The authors went on to show that ruxolitinib, a selective inhibitor of JAK1 and JAK2, suppressed activation of STAT3, resulting in enhanced daratumumab mediated ADCC in myeloma cell lines. Ruxolitinib significantly decreased activation of STAT3 induced by IL6 or bone marrow stromal cell supernatant. Ruxolitinib also abrogated the supernatant-induced reduction in daratumumab-mediated ADCC, further suggesting that the JAK1/2 inhibitor could enhance daratumumab's activity against myeloma cells in the bone marrow microenvironment. While these investigations clearly show that IL6 downregulates CD38, it is important to consider the results in the context of other backbone therapies, according to a related commentary authored by Benjamin G. Barwick and Sagar Loneal of Winship Cancer Institute at Emory University in Atlanta. In an accompanying commentary article, Drs. Barwick and Lonial said immunomodulatory drugs such as lenalidomide have also been shown to upregulate CD38. In addition, other agents have also been shown to upregulate CD38 including histone d inhibitors, DNA methylation inhibitors, and all transretinoic acid, or ATRA. It will be important to determine whether any of these agents can overcome the downregulation of CD38, mediated by IL-6 and STAT-3. In that regard, the JAK1-2 inhibitor ruxolitinib may not be the best drug to maximize CD38 expression, according to Drs. Barwick and Lonial. That's because JAK1 and JAK2 are necessary for interferon signaling, which has also been shown to be important in upregulating CD38 expression. As an alternate approach, they said IL-6 signaling could be more specifically inhibited with monoclonal antibodies, such as siltuximab, which specifically targets IL-6, or tocilizumab, which targets the IL-6 receptor. The main findings of this study have been summarized by Dr. Ken Anderson the senior author of this paper, and a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute.
1: CD38 monoclonal antibody therapies have markedly improved patient outcome in multiple myeloma, but resistance develops, at least in part, due to downregulation of CD38 expression on tumor cells. We show that STAT3 activation downregulates CD38 expression on myeloma cell lines and patient cells in the bone marrow microenvironment and conversely, that inhibition of STAT-3 restores CD38 expression and sensitivity to CD38 monoclonal antibody treatment. Our results, therefore, provide the rationale for novel treatment strategies that combine CD38-targeted immunotherapy with JAK-STAT pathway inhibitors to overcome downregulation of CD38 on myeloma cells and enhance their sensitivity to CD38-targeted antibody-dependent cellular cytotoxicity in the bone marrow microenvironment. The clinical significance of using ruxolitinib in this setting needs to be determined in future clinical trials.
0: The final article today is entitled Machine learning demonstrates that somatic mutations imprint invariant morphologic features in myelodysplastic syndromes. It's by Yasunobu Nagata of the Tausig Cancer Institute at Cleveland Clinic and Nippon Medical School in Japan and co-authors. This study represents the first comprehensive attempt to use machine learning to correlate morphologic features of MDS with mutational profiles. In clinical practice today, The standard for diagnosing MDS remains morphological interpretation. Subjectivity is one downside of the current practice, as interpathologist variability has been shown to be considerable. While morphology provides clues to MDS evolution, mutations and chromosomal defects are directly linked to MDS pathogenesis, and are likely to contribute to the morphologic changes in hematopoietic cells. There are already several well-known associations between genotype and morphology in MDS, including the association of deletion 5Q with macrocytic anemia, micro and elevated platelets, the link between SF3B1 mutations and ring sideroblasts, and the presence of JAK2 SF3B1 mutations in refractory anemia with ring sideroblasts with thrombocytosis. However, a detailed comparison of morphologic profiles and clinical outcomes with genomic profiles have not been previously done. With advances in machine learning and artificial intelligence, or AI, researchers now have the opportunity to conduct efficiently combined analysis of genomic and morphologic data. Such an integration might overcome limitations of current diagnostic techniques, including subjectivity and labor intensiveness. Toward that end, Nagata and co-investigators used machine learning techniques to identify patterns of co-occurrence between morphologic features of MDS and genomic lesions. They sequenced 1,079 patients with myelodysplastic syndromes, myelodysplastic myeloproliferative neoplasms, or secondary AML from either myelodysplastic syndromes or myelodysplastic myeloproliferative neoplasms. They examined 33 genes by next-generation sequencing, and identified 1,929 somatic mutations. The most frequently mutated genes were TET2, ASXL1, SF3B1, SRSF2, DNMT3A, and RUNX1. The authors then used machine learning techniques to identify five distinct morphological profiles. Nearly all patients with high-risk subtypes clustered into a single profile, which they referred to as Profile 1. The other four profiles included mostly low-risk subtypes, and each had unique morphologic features. Patients in Profile 2 had trilineage dysplasia and pancytopenia, while patients in Profile 3 had trilineage dysplasia, two-lineage cytopenia, and monocytosis. Patients in Profile 4 had two-lineage dysplasia, one-lineage cytopenia, anemia, and elevated megakaryocytes while patients in Profile 5 had erythroid dysplasia occasionally arising with anemia. Among the low-risk profiles, patients in Profile 5 had better overall survival than those in Profiles 2, 3, or 4. Further analysis revealed patterns of co-occurrence among the morphologies and genetics of the low-risk patients in the study. The models identified eight genetic signatures associated with specific morphologic profiles. For example, One signature was enriched for TET2 mutations, another for TET2 and SRSF2, and a third for SF3B1. In all, 11 frequent genetic signature morphological profile combinations were identified, including one signature profile combination that was found to have improved overall survival compared to others. In a validation analysis using an independent cohort, six of the signature profile combinations were confirmed. Torsten Hoferlach of Munich Leukemia Laboratory provided a commentary on this study. He said the results show that machine learning algorithms can identify associations between genetics and morphology that are too subtle or complex for the human eye to observe. The results are not independent of gold-standard diagnostic analyses, he said, but they but offer the possibility of greater reliability. Hematology diagnostics could be completely rewritten over the next decade through meaningful combinations of phenotypic and genotypic data, according to Professor Haferlack. But he said these new tools must be tested, validated, improved, and approved if patients are to be treated correctly in the future. Machine learning is predicted to be a part of tomorrow's medical research. Paraphrasing another recent commentary on artificial intelligence, Professor Haferlack concluded, Artificial intelligence will not replace physicians. However, physicians who use AI will replace those who don't. Overall, using machine learning techniques, Nagata and colleagues were able to group patients into five morphological profiles with unique clinical characteristics and classify lower-risk patients into eight genetic signatures. They were able to establish associations between morphological profiles and genetic signatures showing that despite the tremendous morphologic diversity of MDS, it is possible to identify non-random disease-specific relationships between phenotype and genotype. We hope you have enjoyed episode 46 of Blood Podcast. To access the full articles and commentaries discussed today, as well as full author information, please visit bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.